One of the stories in this episode describes medical and legal aggressions committed against a trans person. It may not be suitable for all listeners. So today, a, a reverend came to work to like talk about the Christmas story. Oh, is your other religious school? No. Okay. But it was he was so much like David Brent. I could not. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. Oh, that's brilliant. He was like, and then like the kids could ask him questions, and they were asking some fucking hard <laughs> questions. Like one of them was like, "So if Jesus is uh, Joseph's kid, why does God suddenly have a claim?" <laughs> because like everything in their worlds is like, who owns black what? and white? And tell yeah. me, yeah. And so he was like, um, uh, so have you covered, and then looked to me and was like, so have you covered, uh, that side of things? And I was like, um, Mary and Joseph, yeah. And he was like, no, 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 like the biological side. And, I, and then I was going to be like, wasn't it immaculate conception? <laughs> this is like the perfect out. You don't have, yeah, to, you don't talk have to talk about the birds about the and the bees. And the bee. Exactly. Fine. Yeah. And watching him sweat was a delight. He was like, there were there were two classes, so there were like 60 kids looking at him, and you could see the beads of sweat just rolling down his face. And he was like, um, well, um, yeah, uh, so, you know, Mary and Joseph, they're a couple, so you know what happens. And then I, the whole time I was thinking, no, you're wrong. They didn't fuck. Yeah, She's getting- a vir- Virgin Mary. She's the Virgin Mary. Clues in the night. Exactly. You're getting your own job wrong. Well, yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I'm not religious at all. And I fucking know this. I know that this is wrong. Anyway, yeah. And all then you had he... to say was, well, we know it was God's because... Um, it was well, magic. Actually... Boom. Yeah, it was... Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, I was say, then a fucking say... angel appeared. And three... said, this is God's. Three kings were like, here's some presents for free. That doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Like, the... clearly it's God's. Yeah sure if you if that's what you're into yeah but then yeah so then he really backtracked I think he caught himself and then he backtracked and he was like oh but obviously of course um um Jesus wasn't of the seed of Mary either and then I was thinking like your terminology is way off like I know that sex is not encouraged in the clergy but mate read a book and he was like um so he so Jesus wasn't uh of course Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus um, he was like more like an adopted father, if you will. I was like, yeah, okay, good. Uh, and then, uh, and then he was, but not. She, he was also not of the seed of Mary, so he was entirely God, implanted into Mary. And so all the kids were like, <laughs> implanted into Mary. <laughs> and then yeah, and then he was like, and then of course, you know, nine months later, I was like, you can just stop there. You, you don't need to go through the gestation period. Just be like, then Jesus was born, as we know, in the stable, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Sheep, cows, stable. Yeah. That's really funny. And then... Like, way to make your job way more difficult. I know, yeah. It was so much fun. It was literally... And I, I kept, like, prodding kids. Because last week we knew he was coming in, so I was like, think of some questions for the <laughs> reverend. And then they were all coming out with the most ludicrous questions. I was like, Great really good think of another one that's along those lines um one of them was like uh why should we believe in god and i was like yes well done that. yes mate and then there was one kid who was like so this is all made up yeah (laughs) and he goes well obviously i believe that it's not made up and then but then he went he went hard. He went hard on, on the evidence. He was like, and actually, I think you'll find that there's more written evidence of Jesus existing than there is of Julius Caesar. And I was like, whoa, hold up. Where are your like, you're getting, for that? Yeah, and you could see, you know when someone like knows they're losing an argument yeah. with a child? Yeah, it's and so a child. Like, well, <laughs> I think actually, if you, if you look at, um, if you look at the, the, the scriptures... You'll find that Jesus actually—they've got the hay left from the stable. <laughs> Proof. He's eight. Calm down. I know exactly. This kid has just run rings around you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and your whole By belief system. Yeah, he yeah. gave you the rope to hang yourself. He, uh, like, yeah. yeah, it was. Oh, it was. But great. this surely this is part of a reverend or a priest's job to be like, oh, you know, infiltrate the minds of the young. If I can say that in a less yeah. uh, 
let, let's be more religious word. friendly. My <laughs> personal beliefs. Word. <laughs> yeah. My personal beliefs about what they're doing aside. Yeah, so maybe they're supposed to recruit them. No. No. Like, uh, <laughs> Try again. Uh, inspire? Inspire them. Spread the good word, like you say. So... Do you have any skills for doing that? Absolutely or do you not. just like he also, he also came with a sweet fuck all prepared. <laughs> and was basically like, got any questions? He started with, um, do you guys know what a reverend is? Uh, and I, I was honestly, he was so much like David Brent. I was expecting him to get, to get out. Yeah, either get a guitar or like a dog's body was going to come in with a boom box. And it was going to play, you know, like he does when he gets hired for that talk. You're simply the best. best. No, leave it running. <laughs> leave it. Oh, you've ruined it now. He talked about the location of the church for like seven minutes. He's like, do you know where the church is? And all the kids were like, of course we don't. He's like, you know, off the ring road. Course, if you yeah, take the A4 to It was 100% like that. And Remember I was just like, that not only are they not driving the car, they can't see above the fucking like <laughs> plastic of the window. They have no, no like, concept. Yeah. They also don't know their left and right. So they got no <laughs> concept. Even if he was directing them from the school to the church. You, wrong crowd, mate. Oh, wrong crowd. And they're all like tops nine years old. So <laughs> just, it was, it was great. That was brilliant. Anyway. The woman on a similar note of like, you're in a position where you're supposed to be teaching kids something and you really shouldn't be because you can't do it. When we had our sex education when I was Daily. Like 13, I don't know if it was specific to a Catholic school or just generally sex education is terrible in this country. It is. But we had, we just, they wheeled in some random middle-aged woman who none of us knew, mm. who was like dressed in a poorly fitting suit. <laughs> and essentially her job was to tell us, essentially she just tried to tell us to wash ourselves correctly. I don't know why that was the main thing. Not like, you know, here are STDs. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And wear a condom. She could not say any word pertaining to vulva or vagina. All she kept going was, "So when you um, wash um, in between your legs, oh like no. that." She couldn't even say "in between your legs," which is a euphemism <laughs> for vulva. I was like, "Fuck me!" And I remember being like twelve or thirteen, it's going, like when "This people... is inadequate. Yeah. This isn't okay." <laughs> Why you're more embarrassed than we are? You fucking idiot! Do your job properly. Uh, oh god! Oh my god! God knows what the boys Brilliant. got. Uh, when I um, when I worked in a different school, there was they had a sex education class, and one of the mums came in to teach it. Oh no! <laughs> that kid, poor kid. No. <laughs> She must have been more I mean, like they 10. should be having it at that age. Must have been more like well. 10 because they don't do it till like year, f- year five, years. Right, six. okay. Um, That's better than year eight, like we had. Christ, half yeah, the same. I never had it at point. primary school. I no. think I had a, a minor periods chat in primary school, yeah. and that was about it. And they took the boys off and the girls off separately. Yeah. Anyway, in this lesson, um, the, one of the kids asked, um, if you haven't, this is, uh, I was going to do Bristolian accent, but this was in London. Uh, <laughs> one of the kids asked him, if you don't have a condom on you or access to a condom, is it all right to use a crisp packet and a rubber band? No, they didn't <laughs> ask that. I no. swear well, to God. You, you've actually, you were in I, the room when I that had, was happened. I had to leave the room. I was laughing so hard. Were they say? Are they like I had the comedy the kid in class, and they knew that? No, was it was a genuine question. It was a genuine question. They didn't know. Like I think they had been told it by like an older brother or Fuck something. Fuck me! <laughs> I was just. <laughs> that is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Jesus um, Christ! And no. <laughs> if you if you want to maintain that relationship, absolutely not. If you don't want to get sent to prison, no. Don't yeah. Do that. And That's for the really love funny. of God, if you are going to do that, make sure it's not salt and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's your worst nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, like... <laughs> you know how last week you were like, my worst nightmare is sex and balloons. This is like, sex with a crisp packet is my worst nightmare. <laughs>
Uh, I'm going to talk to you about someone called Lucy Hicks Anderson. Great. I'm not going to tell you anything about her. Just going to go in for it. Perfect. Okay. So she was born in 1886 in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, she was African-American and she was assigned male at birth. From a young age, from about four or five, she insisted to her parents that she was in fact a little girl and that her name was Lucy. And her parents took her to a physician at this time, which I think mm. one is pretty uh, progressive to mm. be like, entertain it. Let's seek some advice mm. on this. And incredibly, the physician said for eighteen eighty, what would it have been eighteen ninety one by this point? Mm. The physician said, um, "I." Yep, I think you should respect her wishes. And um, she is a girl named Lucy, and I think you should raise her as such. And even more incredibly, the parents uh, agreed. And so Lucy was raised Lucy from the age of about five. Um, At the age of 15, she left school and she became a domestic worker. Um, And then for about, when she was about 20, she worked in a hotel in Texas for about 10 years. At the age of 34, she married someone called Clarence Hicks and they moved to Oxnard, California. This is about 1920. So that's about 60 miles north of L.A. Yeah. Um, And the town itself was newly rich um, because apparently their wealth had gone through the roof because they'd just sold a lot of sugar beets. Okay. I don't I don't know. I hear this word on American TV shows. I don't know what a sugar beet is. One could say I should have looked it up for this, but I didn't. Um, I mean, I wasn't going to suggest that, but (laughs) once Uh, again, (laughs) Anna and her research. It's meticulous. Um, And so because the town was newly rich off that sugar beet money, (laughs) um, labourers came in from all around. And (laughs) as many of the sources I, I read said, what do working class labourers like to do? They like to spend their money on lascivious things. <laughs> so they want alcohol and they want gambling and they want women, right? Yeah. So it's this environment into which Lucy Hicks Anderson really paved her mm. direction. Now, quick sidestep here. What is happening in the 1920s in California at this time? It's after the gold rush. Yeah, and we're after the gold rush. Um, what's happening at this time in American society? Prohibition. Prohibition. Okay. So prohibition, uh, as a quick rundown, it started in the late 19th century and went on to the early 20th century. And it's essentially in the late 19th century, the dry movement begins. Mm. So this was, oh, how appropriate. This was mostly driven by religious people, shock horror, mm. who said that it was a sin. Um, and the anti-saloon league was started in 1895 and this was a very powerful lobbying group okay and they had why they were so powerful i don't know but they lobbied a lot of politicians to make places in america dry right Mm. um so in 1919 california was officially declared dry and intoxicating liquors were banned right But because it had taken quite a while for this whole dry movement to come back mm. from the end of the 1800s, yeah. people had enough time to work out how to brew liquor at home, basically. Right. So it was quite a slow Smart. burn. They were like, yeah. I can see this coming. Mm. I know what I need to do. Clever. Um, so when Lucy moved to Oxnard, it was in the middle of Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Now, I found Lucy originally because I started looking up female Prohibition agents and oh. which was really interesting but there wasn't a lot right and yeah. then i by that found lucy um so basically female prohibition agents are very interesting because obviously they were agents of the government who were designed to seek out places that were selling liquor yeah and um, male agents couldn't legally frisk female suspects um in many states mm. um so what would happen is if there were any women who were selling liquor they were just like taunt the officers if they were there just being like woohoo I know you can't touch me but look here's all my liquor like they couldn't do anything Um, and apparently bootleggers also hired women to ride with them in cars when they were transporting bootlegs Uh, liquor anywhere yeah Um, and the quote about that was apparently no self-respecting federal agent likes to hold up an automobile uh, carrying women I don't know why Um, so so then you know what women are going to do in that situation what are they going to do I don't know 
go mental, piss everywhere? What does <laughs> like, he think women are going to do? I don't know. I think it's just like um, they turn feral and just start <laughs> biting. Yeah, well, it worked anyway. Yeah. Um, That's what I'd do. <laughs> yeah, if you're if I get cornered by the police. <laughs> just revert Sonic back to barking. savage tendencies. Yeah. Um, so obviously because they had this issue where women were a great legal loophole for this whole situation, mm. they then were like, okay, maybe we'll bring in female prohibition agents, right? Mm. And one of them in particular, this isn't actually to do with Lucy Hicks Anderson, but she's quite short anyway, so it's uh, quite a nice diversion, um, was someone called Daisy Simpson, a.k.a. the Lady Hooch Hunter. Yeah. Right? And um, <laughs> she seems like a job's worth in that um, she was she sounds like she fucking loved her job um, she had hundreds of disguises so that she could go around you know nice to the same places mm. apparently she would spend a couple of days in like a hotel be there be in the bar and then at the end of her stay arrest anyone who'd served her alcohol um, and then the other thing she did which I thought was really brilliant but also dastardly was she would go outside known speakeasies pretend to faint Mm. And then if a waiter came out with whiskey, because you know back in the day, like they always just chuck whiskey, yeah, like yeah. babies who are crying, like yeah. have some whiskey, shut up. Yeah. So if she, when she fainted and the waiter bought her whiskey, she'd then be like, "You're fucked, mate." <laughs> like, <laughs> she'd like wait for the whiskey, taste on her lips, <laughs> and then get out the handcuffs. Yeah. Whoa. I, that's really. Uh, that's so bad. He's trying to help awful. you. It's awful. And apparently, a lot of the. Um, when she took those people to court, I think a lot of like law enforcement people were like, stop entrapping people. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, I love it. <laughs> she, she couldn't stop it. Play by it. the rules. <laughs> so anyway, she's on the side. Um, oh God, I love her. Yeah. That's yeah. That's the thing. I wanted more info about her. Yeah. Uh, but she's all there is. So this is the backdrop to which Lucy, um, was a citizen of Oxnard. Um, so she became a caterer, a cook for rich families. Um, she was a nanny for some posh families, these sorts of things, and she would also host lavish parties. So it sounds like she was a really important part of her community because people um, loved her cooking so much that she was basically the go-to caterer. Mm. Like I say, she would um, host lots of culinary events. She won awards for like her desserts all the time. She yeah. got money for winning awards, which is like such a nice way to yeah. make your living, isn't it? Um, when the USA went to war with the Second World War, um, Lucy would like throw going away parties for the sons of people going oh, away. Nice. Um, and equally when they, you know, lost family members she would mm. always she would like drive to each family member's house and like sit and mourn with them and stuff like that oh, wow. so it sounds like she was a real like leader of the community a pillar yeah. of the community um which is great because that also allowed her to work her illegal dealings nice <laughs> <laughs> um in the what's the word not undercover like the underbelly underbelly there we go the <laughs> underbelly of oxnard which again had all these laborers who wanted to spend their money yeah. so basically she bought a house and she ran a brothel and a speakeasy nice and so she was doing all this socially acceptable stuff on the surface yeah yeah like oh yeah i'm like so popular but yeah. then she was uh doing this stuff uh, underneath which is exactly the same way of saying that um <laughs> And she, there were people who knew about both sides of her enterprise, yeah. Um, which actually came in a lot of handy because she got arrested for selling liquor a couple of times, yeah, in this period in the twenties. Um, and one of these times, uh, a big banker paid her entire bail because he was like, "She's cooking my dinner party tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get her out." <laughs> Get in the kitchen, Lizzie, I need you. Um, so, yeah, so it was great. So, wow. like, she they actually worked beautifully in tandem because yeah. she, everyone loved her. It sounds Didn't like a really funny arrested. time in history where, like, nobody really wants prohibition to happen. Yeah. Even the people who are, like, enforcing it. Yeah. Like, are, on the, are, are on the take. On the take. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, nobody wants to not have ha fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Apart from the... It must bloody be so religious hard, nuts who then yeah. feel like they've done such a good job and yeah, everyone's just doing it anyway. I, yeah, I feel like they're the ones that you could just say, yeah, we're doing it, yeah. and then just not do it. 
And then they'd be like, well, we're not hanging out in the same bars, are we? So they could just live their life thinking that they've exactly succeeded yeah. when actually everyone's still drinking and having yeah. a great time. And I think the reason Prohibition ended was because it became such a hotbed of like corruption and like mm. that's how gangsters like Al Capone controlled their cities because yeah. they had these you know, very prolific bootlegging businesses yeah. and had police in their pocket and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's like, so it only just bred more corruption. And who doesn't want a drink at the end of the day exactly. more than somebody who's like got a really hard job like a policeman? Well, exactly. <laughs> or politicians. Like, yeah. yeah. But it makes for an interesting time period in history. Oh yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, so it seemed like she kind of managed these two lives Hmm. for a long time in Oxnard um, and yeah apparently people didn't really mind that much that she was doing both things obviously in terms of like the sex work side of things of running a brothel that's potentially problematic nowadays in that obviously we don't know what the circumstances yeah you don't know about the ex- of people in the brothel work yeah. but then obviously you perhaps you'd like to think that someone who's clearly a good person mm. in terms of the amount of work she does for the community mm-hmm. she's probably going to hopefully be a good person to work for yeah well, i don't know um i mean it's probably and if you think about opportunities at the time well this is it it's I probably mean, sex better works... to work for a responsible employer yeah in a in a like that in a house yeah yeah than take your chances elsewhere exactly. or not be employed or and, yeah. you know be destitute or absolutely and sex work is important. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, it's a, no less of a, of of a, a job. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, another side of her charity was like, apparently she would she would donate loads of money to the Boy Scouts and to the Red Cross. And all, so she was a yeah. really charitable person. But apparently when she donated it, she would be laughing and be like, just don't ask where the money came from. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how they're all like, oh... <laughs> Anyway, she her marriage to Charles Hicks ended in 1929 and she married Reuben Anderson, hence Lucy Hicks Anderson, mm-hmm. by this point, um, in 1944. And he was a soldier. Sorry, their marriage ended. So Charles Hicks. Yeah. So she, so she was Lucy Lawson yeah. when she was born. Yeah. And she was Lucy Hicks. Yeah. And the, the relationship just ended. Yeah. Yeah. But they it got wasn't divorced. Like, oh, they got divorced. Okay. I mean, he didn't. I, I guess it again, we like don't know much. Or... I don't think so. Or I think it died. was just they. Okay. They ended. Yeah. And then she remarried. What's that? I like that she's just accumulating surnames. I know. <laughs> she's not like replacing. I know. Isn't that interesting? I was Hicks, just thinking that yeah. that you wouldn't become Lucy Anderson. Mm. Oh, yeah, I like that. Must that. be quite rare. Yeah. Medals of honor. But that's what makes me think. I wonder if they had like a, an amicable breakup. Where yeah, it's maybe. Just, I yeah. have no fucking idea because there's no information. But yeah. like, yeah. So he he was a soldier, Reuben Anderson, and at this point, by 1944, she had expanded her one one house brothel into like half a block, basically. Oh, wow. So she was a proper little like I don't know what the word is empire. Yeah. In Oxnard, right? Yeah. She was a yeah staple in the community. Then in 1945, so a year later. Yeah. The Navy traced a case of venereal disease back to Lucy's bordello. Mm. Um, and a doctor went round and insisted... How did the Navy trace... Like, <laughs> sailors, as if those sailors aren't fucking riddled and stopping off at every port. How could they possibly have traced it back to this one... I, I question this sailor. I mean, considering they didn't really have testing for exactly, STDs back yeah. then, yeah. I, I mean, I understand that probably he had a weepy willy, but like... <laughs> but like, how... It's not like... You, you can't trace that. Yeah, especially yeah. if you're banging in every fucking city yeah. that you stop at, which inevitably they were. <laughs> You've like, heard it here, folks. Come on. Sailors are banging in every city they go. They love it. Come on. Yeah. Well, you know... If I were Lucy, I would be taking issue with yeah. that. Yeah. Prove it, mate. Well, that wasn't the only thing that, unfortunately, she had an issue with. Um, the doctor, a doctor, came round to investigate this, presumably at the behest of the US Navy, I don't know. And this must have been so common. Why are the yeah. US Navy, like, pursuing this? There must have been... Sailors must have been, honestly, <laughs> fucking riddled. Why on earth? I think there's something else going on here. Like what? Maybe she was a spy? 
Or maybe there's something, maybe they wanted to take her down for some other reason. I don't know. I just think that this is like, because they must have spent all of their fucking time closing down bordellos. If this was the case, and then, well, Jimmy's got fucking gonorrhea from Lucy. Tim's got God knows what, but his willy's turned purple. That must have been from Angie down the road. Like, come on. (laughs) Guys, how about we just keep it in our pants? Keep it in those little sailor whites. <laughs> unless this was unless this was like the birth of the uh, what was the promiscuous well, sailor. And also, you know, presumably if they're continuing to use sex workers, they're the ones spreading everything exactly. anyway to the women working. Yeah. I mean it but... should be the brothel owners who are taking it up with the US <laughs> yeah. Navy. We so should be tracking it that way. They should have one of yeah. those um maps on a wall with like <laughs> yeah, coloured pins in yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. fucking sailors well that's <laughs> I don't know why I've got such an issue I was going to say it's really unearthly things I about sailors I just feel very like sa- sorry for Lucy yeah that this is, well yeah I she's being that. accused of spreading some yeah. diseases my cousin's in the Navy I'll ask him that's like a common yeah. fact come on well yeah okay <laughs> I'm not. I'm not accusing your your cousin. My cousin, of but I. Yeah. But Dirty it's, stuff it's well known. Yeah. When um, Tom and I went to Boston, there's an old ship there called the USS Constitution. You might have visited that. I don't know. I haven't been to Boston. Oh, okay. So no, you haven't. But when we were there, they were holding a pull-up convers- competition. Oh yeah. And I have to say, if you see men doing pull-ups, it is like really. Woo! Do you not think? Um, doing... Not really, because we've got beams in our living room, as you know. Yeah. And every man with an oh, ounce of testosterone, okay. the minute they come into our flat and see that, the first thing they do is a pull-up. And okay. every time it makes so me roll my eyes you. so hard. That, uh, Maybe, yeah. That just get your willy out and we'll, yeah. we'll measure it. Like, <laughs> that's really it funny. is tiresome. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, so, yeah, so, so no. may, per, perhaps before I lived in this flat, I might have been impressed by that. Yeah. But now I just... <laughs> it's lost it's ruined all, it for you. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Nora, do you not approve of the, the conversation? Um, She's like, they are defending your country. <laughs> have some respect. Anyway, so Lucy... Sorry. Um, <laughs> that's a big a major detour. Uh, Lucy, the doctor who came round to inspect her bordello... Insisted on examining all of the women who worked there. Was it Daisy? <laughs> In disguise. Yeah. Hiding as like a backpack on another investigator. Wouldn't put it past her. Yeah. And he insisted on examining all of the women who worked there, including Lucy. And Lucy said, I've never worked as a sex worker here. I've only ever been the proprietor. You don't need to examine me. And the doctor insisted. And oh, she was forced to undergo a medical exam. At this point, obviously, you know, the doctor found out that she was assigned male at birth and outed her Mm. to the entire town. Mm. Lucy was charged with defrauding the government because she was married and... Because marriage was classed as between a man and a woman, um, she was she was considered to have defrauded the government um, because there was a section that's, that you had to sign saying, I know of no legal reason we can't be married. That was the bit that the government said mm. you have committed for because you did know of a legal reason you couldn't be married. And the other thing was that... So she was charged with falsifying marriage documents. And also, because her husband was a soldier and she had been claiming her husband's GI benefits, Mm. she was also charged with fraud from that point of view. So she had to go to to court. She was Mm. taken to court. She was forced to undergo further medical exams, despite obviously already having been... I mean, of course they would do that kind of shit, wouldn't they? Awful, awful, humiliating experience for her she there was a trial where you know essentially they were trying to prove that she hadn't defrauded anyone her lawyer said suggested things like well she is a woman so maybe she has you know quote female organs Mm. um inside her somewhere but we Mm. won't ever know that blah 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 Mm. and which obviously you know now we would look at that and say well that's not a very up-to-date way of thinking but i think for 1945 yeah it's something a fair argument to try in front of a judge right um and basically one of her famous quotes is saying i defy any doctor in the world to prove that i am not a woman i have lived dressed and acted just as what i am a woman because of this essentially she is the first person in the world to go to trial for marriage equality 
Wow. Um, so yeah, okay. so it was yeah, it said first person in history to do that. I don't know whether in other cultures at different times mm. this might happen, but mm. I don't think so. I think she is yeah. pretty much the first person to go into a court of law yeah. to fight for her marriage. So um, did the husband get to? Well, she was found guilty of impersonation and fraud, um, and their marriage was declared void. Yeah. Um, and her husband was also considered to have committed fraud by signing the marriage document because he knew that she was um, assigned male at birth. So both Lucy and her husband were sent to jail in California. I don't know how long she was sent to jail for, Mm. um, but she was released on the condition that she was forbidden from wearing women's clothes after that, which is just awful. She was given 10 years probation. I don't know how they enforced that not wearing women's clothes things, but anyway... But what what there's a, like a semi happy ending in that after both her husband and her went to prison, they reunited um, and they moved to they tried to move back to Oxnard, which again I was like wow, wow. Yeah. Um, and I think the police were like no you're not going to. So both her and her husband reunited in Los Angeles and stayed together until oh, that's the nice. end of their days. She's just cool because of. Uh, this like mad lifestyle mm, of being like yeah yeah baking cakes yeah. by day and then like seven blowjobs but no. so yeah so she's really cool and then obviously knowing that she was one of the first people to yeah fight for marriage equality yeah so she's just a really really interesting woman i don't think she's particularly well known in trans history in general i think there are other people who are more well known Mm. so yeah so that's lucy hicks anderson a lot of that was from like a little documentary it's only about five or six minutes long by reese ernst um and it's just quite a nice uh, stylistic documentary that you can find online so there we go so that's lucy hicks thank Okay, so this one is not obscure, certainly for our UK listeners. Okay. For uh, abroad, it may be, they may not have heard of her. Okay. She is somebody that I just love everything that she has done. And so I feel compelled to end our first season with her. Right. Yeah, that sounds good. So today I'm going to be telling you about Victoria Wood. Okay, cool. Okay. So I'm assuming you already know. I do, but I yeah. don't really know anything about her and I haven't seen her okay. in an awful lot. The reason I think I started being interested in her was because we had a video of her of one of her shows. Right. And then when I went to uni, we did a module on comedy and we had research people that we were interested in and then I got a bit obsessed with her mm. and then tried to like, you know, take in as much as I could. Right. Like, I was really interested in the idea that you can just entertain people. So my best friend at uni was a boy who was really obsessed with Brecht. Right. And he, that is a weird thing to be obsessed with. Yeah, he like it was the kind of thing yeah, we know with some people something just clicks with yeah. them and they're like, Oh, this is the thing that I'm interested in mm-hmm. And he was in secondary school, I don't think anything really got him until he was in drama at A level and they did Brecht and he was like, Oh, this is it, this is right. what this totally makes sense to me. And I felt the exact I was going to say, I don't know anyone who feels like that. Yeah, and I was just like, we would have this constant argument that I would just be like, yeah, but sometimes theatre can just be to entertain. Sometimes you just want to go and have a laugh. Like, not everything has to relate to politics. And so I used to, I used Victoria Wood's, like, stories, because in her stand-up and in her song, she did, she made up stories of these characters who she would... You know, we've all seen, and that's why it's funny because they were so relatable, and they would just be funny. She wasn't yeah. necessarily trying make to a make or... a point about the state of the world. You could argue that Dinner Ladies is because it's such an accurate representation of women in that at that time in their lives, mm-hmm. talking about the things that they're going through. It can you could say that it's quite political. I think at the heart of it and having to listen to interviews with her, she just writes what she finds funny. Mm. And I always felt like, that's okay. Like, why is that not okay? Mm. And then I always felt like I had to argue why that was okay. But also, that's only considered political because 
because you don't see it every day. Yeah. Because we're it used shouldn't to seeing... No, it shouldn't. Male narrative. Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't be. Yeah. And to be honest, what they talk about in Dinner Ladies isn't, isn't exactly trying to make a point about anything. Mm. They're just talking about what women in their middle age talk about. Yeah. And so... And yet, yeah, because that's not the viewpoint that we see most commonly. Yeah. It is in it's itself political. political. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I was really interested in her. So Victoria Wood, born on the 18th of May in Prestwich in 19... 53. She's the youngest of four and brought up in Bury. Um, her dad was an insurance salesman who wrote funny songs for Christmas. So that was sort of her first in to like what she would then later end up doing. Right. Uh, he also would write radio plays. They lived in a really busy part of town to then they moved to like this really isolated place. She said that her parents' main interest weren't their kids. So like they weren't right. they weren't not loving, mm. but they just had other interests. And it sounds like her mum was quite a complex character who she thinks, looking back, was quite depressed being in that isolated house. They lived in like a big ex aircraft hangar that, that oh, right. her mum had sort of like fashioned into a house with she'd get like bits of wood off of parts of Manchester. Oh, and right, like, yeah put up to make a wall and stuff so they they all had their own space they were a big family but they all had their own spaces and it sounds right. like they all lived quite isolated lives victoria said that growing up she was she'd live in her bedroom and just read like obsessively read right they wouldn't really socialize as a family they wouldn't eat together so she would just go up to her room eat she had quite um she said she was quite an obsessive eater mm. over eater and an obsessive reader right her mum had like a similar thing where she was always on a diet or she was always a reading she felt like she was always an ex- an outsider for being fat she was a clever child through primary school and then when she got to secondary school she wasn't the cleverest and so she just instead of sort of trying to work harder she just went the complete opposite way and just gave up she said she just didn't work she didn't do her work didn't do her homework didn't brush her hair like completely just gave up on everything as that was her sort of coping mechanism so her first experience of the theater they didn't really go to the theater as a family but they went to see a performer called Joyce Grenfell, who was a singer and used to do, like, uh, sort of funny... A bit like Adele. You know how Adele does, like... She sings, but then she also has, like, a bit of a laugh with the audience yeah. in between songs. So she said that just seeing a woman on stage for the first time, just talking to an audience, had such a massive effect on her. So she saw Joyce, and Joyce came out and said, I'm going to give you a moment to decide whether my dress is leaf green or lettuce green. (laughs) And she thought that was hilarious. (laughs) After the show, her mum and her sisters go backstage and get to meet her. And she was told that she was too young. So for some reason, she, she gets left. So she's too young to go backstage, but she's not too young to hang out in a (laughs) theatre, like at stage door on her own. Anyway, and then Joyce came out and was like, oh, is this Victoria? And like came to me. And then after that, she was like, oh my God, that's... And then she said, whenever she does a play, she always goes to the stage door and always waits till the last person has had like their say or taken a picture or whatever they want. Yeah. Okay, so when she was in grammar school, she um, she wouldn't make her own packed lunches, but she'd steal other people's. Right. So yeah. re- it's really quite, like, troubling behaviour. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you saw that in one of your kids, right? You'd yeah, yeah, like... exactly. You'd be, like, straight on to social worker. Yeah. And she'd, like, if she needed money, she'd, like, steal it. Sort of a misfit. And then because of that, because she was an outsider, she was forced to observe other groups. And I think that's where her eye for detail and and Mm. human behaviour came in. She started playing piano at seven and worked out how to play songs after her dad wrote the notes on her keys. So she sort of taught herself. She said that she would practice sort of like spinning around in her chair as if she was doing it to an audience. And because she had all this time on her own and she read so voraciously, she had such a wild imagination Mm -hmm. that she could put it into her songs and stuff like that. And she also said that although she sounds quite chaotic and disordered she was also very driven and worked really really hard 
So when she started, when she joined a youth theatre, it all kind of fell into place for her and she was like, oh, this makes more sense to me than, like, school. This is... Everybody's a bit weird and everybody sort of just accepts everybody's weirdness. That's what really started to set her off. That was her catalyst. Yeah, so she had a really strong belief in her own ability, which I think is quite impressive that she was knocked by going to secondary school and not feeling like the smartest. And yet... When she found this workshop, this youth theatre, and then she found music, she she realised and recognised, oh, I'm good at this, which I think so many young women don't do, don't have the confidence to do, to recognise that you're good at something and then pursue it. She auditioned at Manchester Polytechnic uh, for the drama course there, where she first met Julie Walters, long-time collaborator. She's awesome. Yeah, Julie Walters was showing people round and pretending to be a nurse as she was showing them round and, like, like telling them stories about this you know fake life as a nurse right. pretending that she was like wheeling a portable toilet and victoria was so sick with nerves all day that she because obviously it's a very nerve-wracking process auditioning for drama school she didn't get in but she always remembered that girl that funny girl who showed around right seven years later she was doing a review at shepherd's bush theater like a sketch show and she saw a small woman with loads of hair <laughs> and tiny eyes who she recognized right. which is like crazy and she said that I would, I'd been thinking about her in the seven yeah, years. She must have had a huge impact. Massive, yeah. yeah. But then it, when you think about it, when you think about those two and the work that they then created, and when you think of Julie Walters on her, you know, yeah. individually, she is such a force of nature that yeah. you would, I totally understand that yeah. that's how she would. She studied drama at uni, but felt pretty overwhelmed and like an outsider again, because everybody was sort of this leggy blonde, which I remember when we had our showcase at RAD, mm-hmm. I didn't go to RADA but we had my drama school had our showcase at the RADA um, theatre for some reason Yeah, and everybody coming out of the RADA building was like 10 foot tall (laughs) so blonde stunning and I was me and me and my friend was sat on the curb whilst he was having a cigarette and I was just like yeah we don't belong here (laughs) this is not our world So I totally understand. They were all from the home counties and, you know, had studied Stanislavski and mm. were, just had a leg up on her, really. Yeah. So I think she, again, sort of retreated into herself. So she wrote a play and took it to the BBC, which is pretty, like, back in those days when you could just rock up and be like, <laughs> yeah. I've written a play. Do you want to um, do something with it? Or, yeah. yeah. But in, in itself, that takes quite a lot of initiative to, oh, yeah. to go and do. And then she also auditioned, when she was 20, she auditioned for New Faces, which is one of those, like, talent shows on on the TV, with Lenny Henry. He's also one of the people who who did that. Yeah, so her act was Topical Songs, um, and in later interviews she said that she mostly wrote about six-form stuff. So, like, you know, watching all those people and all that information that she'd soaked up. Which, when I think back at my six-form, that would be the most boring, (laughs) like... So it would just be like, oh, so-and-so got off with so-and-so at a house party. <laughs> yeah, so basically her feedback was that she needed to live a life before writing comedy, like, of more substance. Because when you're 20, what have you got to write yeah, about, apart really? From apart from sex form. From 1974 to 1978, she worked out how to write a joke. Um, and she wow. said she, like, remembers the day that she wrote her first show. She's like, oh, Fuckin this hell. is how it works. It, on her Desert Island dish... What's her name? Kirsty. Kirsty says. Uh, yeah, your mate Kirsty. Mate Kirsty is like. Um, is there a formula to? What I love about her so much though is that there are so many questions where Kirsty's trying to like lead her down a garden path, and she's like, no. Like she asks her like, oh, what did you look like? in secondary school so in the hopes that she'll go down and like oh I was a dumpy little mm. like and it was painful head. Like, yeah. yeah and she's just like oh you know probably better than I thought I did and then she get and it's just like yeah fucking good yeah. good for you yeah I, I don't need to hear that sob story either no. which obviously she's trying to like eke out yeah you. absolutely um she yeah so she's like so is there a, a formula to comedy and she's like no nope. and even if there was I wouldn't tell you <laughs> which is great she's like people don't need to know how the wheels move I was like yeah actually yeah. yeah she spent four years working that out yeah why is she just gonna tell you <laughs> yeah. she said people who choose comedy are coming from a place of alienation which is obviously something that she felt pretty strongly mm. um, not people chosen for the netball team become great comedians 
which fair. Uh, she said she was a spotty, sweaty lard ass and generally potato faced. <laughs> oh which we've all been there. Privately, I'm a spotty, sweaty lard ass right now. <laughs> me too. Oh my god, don't get me started. Oh, this week has not been good for the old <laughs> trinny chin chin. So she said she was privately very reserved and avoided situations where people would want to talk to her, even when she was, you know, starting to do well. So after New Faces, um, she was in a sketch show. She did weekly topical songs. In 1978, she did the review theatre review with Julie Walters, the sketch show. Right. And it was called In at the Death, Alternative Theatre Company's Sketch Show About Mortality, which sounds right up my street. Which led to her first play, Talent, um, which was commissioned for The Crucible in Sheffield, which was about two friends, one of whom was entering a talent contest in a rundown nightclub, and then that transferred to London and was adapted for Granada Television. And who auditioned for the the main part? Judy Waters? Yeah. And they both played, so it's two friends and they both played, so she played the main character who's auditioning for the thing. Oh, okay, cool. Um... Victoria Wood played the dumpy friend, which was her recur. Their sort of their dynamic, dynamic throughout right, their whole. Okay. It, she's such a good sketch writer, which I think is such a difficult thing to do. Mm. But when you look at like Victoria Wood as seen on TV, there are so many sketches that just still hold up today. Purely funny, character-driven situations. Yeah. I think is so hard to do and so brilliantly done yeah. by her. Then she was offered a sketch show by Mr Eckersley, who was the head at Granada, and she insisted that she'd only do it if she could do it with Julie Walters. Right. uh, And insisted on them having double billing, like equal billing. So Wood and Walters was a show, and then he died just before shooting the series and he was like this massive sort of influence for her because I think he really like saw potential in her right, okay. and took her under his wing and and she had massive respect for him I think they both did and so when he died I think that was a huge blow to them and the series and mm. she said that it wasn't half the series it could have been with right. his input 1983 she performed her first stand-up show It had a five-week run and then transferred to a bigger venue. She moved to the BBC to make Victoria Wood as seen on TV, which is probably her biggest well-known, apart from maybe Dinner Ladies might Mm. be her biggest. So she toured Victoria Wood live, her stand-up show, and in 1988 she did an audience with Victoria Wood, which won a BAFTA. In 1980, a BAFTA, for those of you who don't know, is like the biggest, it's like an Oscar for the UK. It's like the biggest... I'm trying to work out what it stands for. ...award British Academy for... Film and Television Award. There we go. I've got my eyes on one. And then she toured again. She basically, what I want to get across is the fact that she was constantly working. Mm-hmm. She was constantly touring, constantly writing, which I just think. And like, it seems if you look at the timeline, she rarely had a break. Right, okay. Which is in very impressive. Yeah. In 1993, she toured again. She broke box office records with a 50. Sellout shows at the Royal Albert Hall. Wow. Who sells out the Royal Albert Hall? Like, presumably, what other female comedians were around then? Like Joe Brand, maybe? Maybe not? May, like, maybe, like similar. What other women were? She she was like a trailblazer. Like, you, there were not women stand ups mm. before. Uh, yeah, I mean, her and Joe Brand. Yeah. And then in America, Joan Rivers. Mm. So this mm. is, this is like. Yeah. And then a... to sell out the Royal Albert yeah. Hall 15 nights. That's amazing. That's huge. Yeah. Like, Pavarotti probably didn't do that. Yeah. I'll fact check that later. (laughs) Nah. Just leave it in. (laughs) Fine. She would obsessively write and rewrite, and she said, if I I write it ten times, it'll be ten times better, which is, like, very diligent. Yeah. In 1988, she did Dinner Ladies, which I think we all grew up with dinner ladies, really. For those of you who don't know, a dinner lady <laughs> is um, yeah, a... It might not translate. might not translate. Is a woman, usually, uh, hence the name, who serves dinner or lunch. Serves lunch, but in the north, lunch is known as dinner. Um, not just in the north. To uh, Do you say dinner? Yeah, interchangeably, yeah. yeah to either we would know it for school children so we had dinner ladies mm, yeah who would serve you your lunch 
I guess in America it's just lunch ladies. That's the yes, translation. Why lunch. am I trying to... <laughs> so me. it's a woman, she doesn't she's live at the woman. school. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't live in the kitchen. She and does yet, go home. She delivers food via various utensils to strange trays carried by... God. <laughs> anyway... That's what you call it's a complicated woman concept. Just yeah. you know, it's a Britishism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep up, guys. <laughs> so the great thing about Dinner Ladies is that it was mostly a fe- it was a largely female cast. I think there were maybe one or two, I think there were two regular men, right. male characters, and a big cast of female middle-aged women. Which now still you don't. Get. It's so rare that you get stories told from that point of view. The characters were vivid and funny and like real and relatable. It always had quite a sad undercurrent, right. which I, I really like. Which now, if you look at how comedy is evolving now, like look at Nanette. Have you seen Nanette? No, I, I need to see it. You need to see it. But like Fleabag. Fleabag. Like All of the stand-up shows that I have seen recently have had a darker right. edge to it. It's really like, I think it really enhances Ooh. the comedy. So what they would do, because it was like a film in front of a live studio audience, they would record it, they'd perform it live on the Friday, she would rewrite it all night, and then all of the cast, there was like a reunion thing, and they had lots of interviews, and they were all like, it was a fucking because she'd rewrite it all night on the Friday and then they'd have to relearn a completely different but script But then who'd they the perform Saturday. it to on Saturday? So they filmed it on the Saturday. The Friday was like a dress rehearsal. Uh, so they performed it how many other shows live to want? an audience on the Friday right. and then filmed on the Saturday, completely rewritten. Oh, God. But if you want it, if you want it good, exactly. sometimes that's what you got to do. I'm not going to keep mentioning every year that she did something because literally <laughs> it is every year that she did something. If you want to look up her full, her full, what's it called, catalogue, go for it. I encourage that you do. I'm not going to go through it all now. However, in 2006, <laughs> she did her first drama, which was called Housewife 49, which is about the diaries of Nella Last. I don't know if you've heard. So she was a pretty introverted middle-aged woman um, who was in quite an abusive relationship and then and was quite depressed and in that time just before the war it was sort of like well a woman's lot is to look after her husband and if your husband's an asshole unlucky and then the war happened husband fucks off to war and then suddenly women have more value because they need to step into the roles that men traditionally did to keep the country going and then she suddenly had this sort of like revitalization of her life and found new meaning in life and what she could was capable of Mm. and so she was really inspired by reading the diaries of of Nella Last and then wrote Housewife 49. She won two BAFTAs for it, for the writing and the performing, which is very mm. rare. Oh, okay. For the, to write and perform the same thing and win for right. both those categories. Yeah, of course, yeah. If you're going to measure success by awards, mm-hmm. then here we go. Okay. Five BAFTAs, an OBE, a CBE, an honorary doctorate, six British Comedy Awards and nominated for an Olivier. Now, if that is... That'll do. Yeah. Yeah. I'd take that. Yeah. Sure. Her relationship. So, we've covered pretty much every aspect of her career. Mm -hmm. She got married to an actor in 1980, who was also a magician. (laughs) Not many of them around. Called Jeffrey Durham. Uh, They met when he was in a show and she was the musical director on it. And they had two children, but they separated in 2002. She spoke in the interviews that I watched and listened to. She did speak really fondly of him. And I think it was just one of those things where they, it just sort of like didn't work anymore. Mm. And she did credit him with being like the reason that she did stand up. She needed that support and that sort of boost. And she did talk about being... It sounds like just utterly devastated when it when the marriage broke up, mm. and then and obviously and having children to look after is the kind of the thing that like kept her going. But it did sound like it was like a real mm. punch to the gut. She said that she never she would never use it as material, like that's that's the only thing that's sort of off the off table. Right. And also she was talking about her material and Kirsty Young, 
There we go. It's like, yeah. would you, would you, are there any things that you wouldn't talk about? Like, would you, would you never talk about your kids? And she's like, well, I have talked about them, but only as a way to talk about children in general mm. or to talk about like that stage in their life or whatever. She's like, I wouldn't mind people knowing that I like trim my pubes with a nail, br- a nail scissors, but I wouldn't want them to see my tea towel. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I, I kind of know what she means there because I think there's like a, there's sort of, that seems more intrusive. <laughs> the idea that somebody can like judge you, like trimming your pubes is like universal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Somebody coming in and being like, ooh. Because now all I can think about is how dirty my tea towel <laughs> Yeah. And how Actually, you're about to cook in my that. kitchen. <laughs> I, I think Tom, it's quite an interesting one. Well, he's yeah, doing it. So I, fine. He won't notice. Like... No, he, he literally would not notice. So you're all right. <laughs> Perfect. On the 20th of April 2016, she died at the age of 62. Um, That's young. Yeah, that really sucks. young. I remember when, I remember that that was like the year wasn't it 2016 yeah where, where everybody loads died. Of, and people yeah. were like oh my god this is but i think that was the one i was like oh shit was this it is... sudden did anyone know she was unwell so no she didn't let on that she was unwell she had si- she had a six month battle with cancer basically oh, so even oh. that is like a very very quick mm. so she kept it secret julie walters said her heart was too sore to comment um, the loss of her is incalculable, Aww. which like you can imagine, they were obviously like as close as you can get. This is really lame, but because I love Mamma Mia too so much, that gives added weight oh to God. the. I <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> you're after that quote. You're bringing it back to Mamma Listen, Mia too. One, you haven't seen it. Wait till you've seen it. Secondly. In Mamma Mia 2, Judy Walters is playing a woman who has lost her best friend at that same age. Okay. And although she's obviously hilarious in it, and yeah. a lot of her like yeah. grief moments are played for last, mm. that just adds a whole new level mm. where I'm like, oh shit, she had probably the year First before gone that through experience. that. Yeah. yeah. Which must be awful. And all of life can be brought back to Mamma Mia too. I'll have you know. <laughs> and it. until you've seen it, can you it. can shut your mouth. But yeah. Well, I am unsure of the paternity of my uh, 18-year-old daughter. <laughs> and there are three so, possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Oh, at um, least three. <laughs> sorry to uh, divert away from no, Victoria no, Woods' demise no. with that. But but that I think that probably genuinely would have been quite heartbreaking for Julie Walters. Because it would have been the year after she was yeah. probably doing it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it must have been. I don't know why. It's so weird, isn't it? When, like, people you've never met before and then you find out that they've died, it's just re- it's weird that it hits you mm. as if you know them. Yeah, I think Heath Ledger was the first one that I was like, oh, oh, shit, I like yeah. him. And now he's dead. I think that was the first time I'm celebrity. Because also, I we were about, like, 18 when that happened. Yeah, wasn't it? And I think, I think and yeah. that's when you think, like, oh, everyone's invincible. Yeah. And, like, people die at the appropriate age. Yeah. And then you realise, oh, no, actually, the world is shit. And people, yeah. and, like, horrible things happen and when they should. Really, I know I say this every week, but I implore everybody to do their own research into Victoria. Mm-hmm. If you don't know her of her, or if you haven't heard some of her hilarious songs or stand can you recommend some hilarious songs well i'm gonna add the ballad of barry and frida to the end of this there's a really funny song called pam about a woman who doesn't want to have sex go and find her stand up it is so funny it's telling very funny stories that are clearly made up Mm mm-hmm but you also you believe that they absolutely happen and they're totally true. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the ballad of Barry and Frieda, but it is. I I defy anybody to not find it funny. Frieda and Barry sat one night. The sky was clear, the stars were bright The wind was soft, the moon was up Frida drained her cocoa cup She licked her lips, she felt sublime She switched off gardener's question time Barry cringed in fear and dread As Frida grabbed his tie and said Let's do it, let's do it, do it while the mood is right 
composed and performed by Holly Buhaya, who you can find on Instagram at Holly Buhaya. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at All About Eve Podcast and please like and subscribe. Yeah.